0: After seven years, things have quieted down, and we're praying for a quiet uh, transition back into Jerusalem. It's uh, really a main hub of believers in Israel. It's it's God's heart in that city, and we we believe this will be a very impactful, very important conference uh, in Jerusalem. And as you see, me and Milad are here, and and what you saw in that conference is really what what we are pursuing in Israel. Uh, if I'm going to share a little bit about how to be praying and what's happening there right now and some of the things that God has done in our life this past year. I'm going to share a little bit, uh, I'm going to share testimonies about a trip that we did into northern Iraq and Turkey uh, serving with refugees, and there's going to be some prophetic things that I'm going to share that have to do with that trip and some prayer points. So Father, I just ask that you would speak through me tonight and give us wisdom, open our hearts to receive what you have to say Father, I thank you for us being here together. God, I thank you for Milad being here with me today, and the unity. Father, we ask that you would multiply this fruit and bring many more like this. In Yeshua's name, amen. amen. I don't know that there's many people my age that are doing what we're doing. It's the first time I've gone out uh, on a trip like this with Milad. We did a mission trip together, but this is the first time we're doing an actual, just uh, more of a ministry-type trip, not a missions trip. Um, and I don't know anybody else that has done this. It was kind of a courageous first step. If you would have asked me a few years ago, I would have said this wouldn't be possible. I can't work with Arabs. I can't work with Palestinians. There's too many differences, too much conflict. Uh, we'll each go our separate ways. I love them. You know, we can be friends, but not work together. And God's really changed my heart in that area. Well, let's start with this verse. You heard it in the video. Uh, Isaiah 19:23 through 24. This verse is going to be, a foundation for what we're going to be speaking about today. Have you guys ever done a study or a teaching on this verse here? All right, so I'm going to ask you guys to dive deeper into this. Mike Bickle and uh, a few other people have some very, really good teaching on this subject. Uh, It has to do with the Middle East and God's heart for the Middle East. And I really, really encourage you, this, this verse is becoming more and more important as the time draws near for his return. And there's a reason for that. But let's, let's read it. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria. And the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Now, these are only two verses from this, from this chapter. I encourage you, go read the rest of the chapter. It talks about some things that happened in Egypt. It talks about uh, some trials and, and persecution, uh, some shakings. But then it talks about God revealing His glory, and about people crying out to His name. But this this chapter actually talks a lot about worship and about the building of altars. And this chapter is very prophetic to the prayer movement, especially in the Middle East. This chapter talks about God raising up altars of worship throughout the Middle East. And we see that happening right now. Now, this chapter talks about a unity that is going to be created between Assyria, Egypt, Egypt and Israel. Let's go to the next slide real quick. Here you can see a map of Assyria in green. Uh, Right in the middle in yellow is the kingdom of Judah, which would represent Israel, and the Egyptian kingdom on the bottom. Let's go to the next map. All right, this is a modern-day map, keeping in mind what we just saw. You can see highlighted the regions that would be considered the kingdom of Assyria, Israel and Egypt. Now, if you look at the modern day nations, I can tell you right away that this verse does not match what we see geographically. Those nations in Assyria and Egypt are not united or favorable in any way towards Israel at all. (laughs) That's an understatement. You look at Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, parts of Iran, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, all those nations really don't like Israel. Egypt and Jordan have peace treaties with Israel, but the people themselves really don't like Israel. And then on top of that, you have the conflict between the Palestinians and the Jewish people within Israel. Then you have also conflict between the Palestinians and Egypt. Then you have conflict between those nations themselves, like Lebanon and Saudi Arabia, Iran and Saudi Arabia. All these nations are one against another. (laughs) There is a lot of conflict in this area. And you guys are hearing the news right now, what's happening with ISIS. And God's really stirring up, for a reason, he's stirring up what is happening there. And he's allowing these things to happen. But this verse doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a geographical. Uh, significance or something that will happen actually geographically i believe there will be one day a highway that connects these these nations and will be open that might be after the lord returns Uh, in the book of zechariah it talks about the nations gathering in jerusalem to worship the lord and if you look at a highway over this region any highway he also says it here that israel egypt and assyria will be one but any highway that would go through these areas would have to pass through israel You can't build a highway from Iraq, Syria, or Lebanon to Egypt without going through Israel. It's impossible. Even geographically, it's impossible. Right under Israel is the border between Egypt and all the other nations, because you have a sea that divides it right there. So any highway, according to the scripture, would have to pass through Israel. And a highway has a significance. It it, it it would speak of trade and exchanging goods, people going back and forth from one place to another, relationships and, and treaties and, and um, political alliances even, kingdom alliances. But more than anything, the highways served the kings. The highways were meant to serve a king so that he could pass through the regions protected, And easily, without having to do a lot of um, going through uh, terrain and enemy territories, but a highway is for quick access, you can go quickly, you're not delayed. But they're supposed to serve a king. And I think that's a very significant uh, use for a highway. And We'll look at that in a minute. But God has a plan for the Middle East, and He has a plan for these nations. And even if it doesn't happen geographically, it will happen spiritually. God's going to begin uniting the people that are in this regions that call on His name. And He's going to begin to turn their hearts towards one another. And they're going to begin to be a blessing to one another. And they're going to begin to move, so to speak, on this highway, whether it be spiritually, relationally, it might not be physically, but relationally and spiritually, they will move on this highway. And, and, it, and it, we're beginning to see the fruit of it. I want to go to the next few pictures real quickly just to give you some, just some testimonies of what that looks like. This is a picture of Sukkot Haleel. This is the youth watch that I'm a part of every week. We have a group of about 8 or 9, uh, 14, 15, 16 year olds. The one in the guitar in the front is my brother. He's 16. He's a worship leader. He's writing songs. Uh, the guy in the back is also a worship leader. and ri- He also started writing songs. Uh, but God is using these kids to write new music, new songs, lead worship, and they're only about 14, 15, 16, all of them. This is something we do every week, but I just want to show you. This is the house of prayer in Sukkotalel. Let's go to the next picture. This is when we were in northern Iraq. Uh, The guy in the middle, his name is Fabian, and he leads a house of prayer in Erbil, northern Iraq. Next picture. This is from the Alav Conference. This is a group of about how many? 10, 11, 13? There were 13 Jordanians that came from Jordan uh, for our conference this year in Alav, or last year. And two of them, I think two or three of them, were part of a house of prayer in Amman, Jordan. So there's a house of prayer that started about a year ago in Amman, Jordan. Next picture. This is, a few, this is a few of us when we went to Cyprus. I don't know how many of you read my update letters, but we took a team from sukkot to Cyprus for a Middle East uh, Isaiah 19 conference uh, called The Net. And the purpose of this conference is to connect houses of prayer from across the Middle East for four days of worship, teaching, and more than anything, connecting. They want people to exchange de- uh, their personal information, emails, numbers, make plans for future partnership, travel, teams going across borders different stuff like that uh you know usually when you go to a conference you say you know you're not going to do networking you want to go to like worship or t- this conference is all about networking that's like the the purpose of the conference is to get people networking with one another so the one the one in the very right holding a jacket to your yeah your right holding a jacket she her name is rania she has a house of prayer an arabic house of prayer in nazareth and then the, one, the ones on the left, the family on the left, they're a family that has uh, started a house of prayer in Beirut, Lebanon. And one of those guys was actually in Israel for two years at our love conference leading worship in Arabic. And we couldn't film his face. He had a hat over his face. He couldn't, we couldn't film his face for his own uh, personal security going back to Lebanon. But uh, he got questioned at the border for four or five hours until they finally let him through. It was a miracle that we had him. So that's another house of prayer in Lebanon. Next picture. This was also in Cyprus. These are two guys from Egypt, on the left and on the right. The, uh, these guys are involved with a house of prayer in Egypt. Um, the name of the capital just got out, of, just ran away from my head. In Cairo, uh, they have a house of prayer in Cairo. Let me share with you just a little something about Egypt. Uh, this was really encouraging what we heard in this conference. All of you know what started happening in Egypt three years ago, right? The, they took away, they, um, they put down Mubarak. They took him out of, out of, um, out of his, um, uh, from rule, his throne, so to speak. Uh, and back then, we knew of about five houses of prayer in Egypt, so to, more or less. As this conflict started when they took out Mubarak and they put in the Muslim Brotherhood, was voted into power, they started persecuting Christians. And they started killing and killing Christians and they started burning a lot of churches. Uh, we estimate that over 300 churches were burnt during that time. Uh, what was amazing, though, is that as the persecution started, now if you go into Isaiah 19, you can read that that's exactly what's going to happen in Egypt about instability, shakings, And in the midst of that, they're going to cry out to the Lord, and God's going to raise up an altar in the midst of Egypt. Well, they started experiencing persecution and and, um, hatred. God was stirring up the Egyptians, and they voted in the Muslim Brotherhood, who is very extreme and very anti-Christians in every sense of the word. Uh, And today, we know that there's over 25 houses of prayer in Egypt in a matter of two to three years. They recently had their One Thing Conference, which had more than 10,000 young people which in the Middle East is a very, very large number. I met uh, this guy on the on the right. They came with a team of about 15 from Egypt, and they told us a story of a prayer gathering that they had. In this prayer gathering, they, they would get together, continue like quite a bit to worship and pray together, and they would pray for Israel. And one day, the Holy Spirit fell in their gathering, and people... Just fell on the floor. Spontaneous people started falling on the floor. People started speaking in tongues. And a few of the young people there. Started speaking tongues in Hebrew. And they had no idea. Why that was happening. And they realized. That God was doing something. So they started praying about it. And they came across this scripture. And I think it's in Isaiah 19. Where it talks about five cities in Egypt. That will speak the language of Canaan. So some of them have actually started learning Hebrew in university as a prophetic act of that scripture, believing that God's going to do that. So God's really moving in that nation. Let me share with you one more story. I was sharing this today with Don and Milad. We, there was a young lady that uh, Rick met when he was in Egypt in Cairo, and a young lady that when she came to the faith, she hated Israel, she hated the Jewish people, absolutely hated the Jewish people. And one day God appeared to her, uh, Jesus appeared to her physically and told her, I want you to love my people. And she started crying and she said, I can't. I can't do it. It's, it's too hard. And Jesus started weeping in front of her. And he said, why can't you love my people? I died for them just like I died for you. And she said, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. And after a little while, finally, I think she opened up and she said that she needed his help to be able to do this. For six straight months, Jesus would appear to her every day in her room and taught her from Genesis to Revelation why to love and pray for his people. And she shared this story to Rick, and he shared it in the House of Prayer. We were absolutely blown away. But these are just some of the things that God is doing in Egypt and in the other nations around us, turning people's hearts towards Israel. The people in Lebanon, they were telling us, that in their house of prayer, they can't refer to Israel as Israel. They say Disneyland or they say other things. So they, they, for example, they'll say, man, we wish we could go to Disneyland. Or when they're praying, they're praying for Disneyland. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because they have have people come in who are, uh, one, not believers. Two, sometimes you have the secret police or um, uh, intelligence people. And they don't care if you're Christian. But the moment that you're Christian and you talk about Israel, that's when the tide turns. So you can be a Christian and an Arab that that that's you know acceptable in some ways, even in nations like Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Lebanon, which are very very extreme uh, Muslim countries. Uh, Egypt, for example, they wanted us to come for for a conference with Israelis, and they said, you know, if you we want you to come, but we can't really have you in our house or in our church or in our conference. <laughs> Because you'll bring all the police with you. They'll follow you everywhere. And we don't really want to be exposed to that. So that was kind of... Um, they wanted me to come, but they were too afraid for us to come. But that's how thats how they treat... The Christians can be Christians as long as you don't talk about Israel. That's kind of the hot topic. But in Lebanon, they would pray for Israel. And they, they, they have to come up with all kinds of ways to, to hide the fact. But they do. They shared with us a story of one of the uh, high-level uh isis people in lebanon who actually came to the faith and is now being discipled there and so god's really I mean, god's really moving there uh fabian also in, in northern iraq they pray for israel all the time they're training their people on how to pray and why love israel and they have a heart for it uh, rick's actually going to be doing a training in turkey uh, this coming march uh, birthing houses a prayer conference uh, for people around the middle east so it's something that God's really moving and really doing there. Can we go back to the, to the Isaiah 19 map? I just want to have that up. So that's, that's going to be one of the most significant uh, prophetic words in our time right now. Isaiah 19. I, I want to encourage you. Study it. Get deep into it. Understand it. Because this is what the Lord is doing. And it has a lot to do with you. Let's go to Isaiah 40. Many of you might know this verse. Isaiah 40, uh, the very beginning, the first few verses. Verse 3 it says A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert. A highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So notice some of the words that God speaks in this prophecy. We always quote this this prophecy about Israel, but we very much connect this word with Isaiah nineteen. Talks about a highway being built. The prophet gives a command, make straight in the desert a highway for our king. He says, every, ba- every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. What does that mean? Here's the way I read it. God gives a command to, for the people To build a highway. There's many obstacles in the way. And yet God commands his people to build a highway. And that he will take care of every valley and every mountain. Every unlevel ground or uneven ground. Every rough place. He's going to change the hearts. He's going to change people. He's going to remove the obstacles that stand in the way of this highway being built. Our responsibility is to start taking care of the highway, start building, start doing. That's what God's calling. Saying, make straight the highway, make it, build it, raise it up. And I'll take care of the mountains, I'll take care of the valleys, I'll take care of the obstacles. Now notice the, the, the language towards the end of this verse of, the, of these verses in verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And through this highway, God's going to begin to reveal His glory in those nations. And all flesh shall see it. Now this reminds me of Joel too. That God's going to pour out His Spirit over all flesh. If all flesh is going to see His glory, obviously this has something to do with Joel chapter 2. This has something to do with His return. This prophecy is very significant. And this is a foundation, I believe, for any house of prayer that wants to pray for Israel, any house of prayer that prays for for the Arab people, for Palestinians, for the Middle East. You have to get familiar with these verses. This is God's word and prophetic word for the Middle East. God's been speaking to us quite a bit about what He's doing in these nations. We had a prophetic word uh, that Rick received a vision you can go read them on the Sukkot Talal website. I won't share it all right now, but he received the word about God rearranging borders in the Middle East. And we see that happening right now. ISIS has completely rearranged the borders. And the rearranging of the borders has a purpose and a reason. And then he also saw that God was preparing a basin. He was digging in the ground, preparing holes in the ground throughout northern Iraq, southeastern south Syria, and western Iran. That whole triangle right there, that God was digging holes, and He was preparing it for rain. But in those regions, those holes were going to get filled up with the waters of rain, the Holy Spirit. Now, what's very interesting is that in that region, northern Iraq, southeastern Turkey, the very eastern corner of Syria... And Western Iran is populated mostly by Kurdish people. The Kurdish people today occupy what would have been ancient Syria. And the Kurdish people are a group of about 40 million people, 30 to 40 million, I think it's 35 million. Uh, Most of them are Muslims. But the big difference about the Kurds from the rest of the Muslim community is that the Kurds take their identity more serious than their religion. What do I mean by that? The Kurdish people will fight against Muslims if it, if it has a conflict with them. For example, right now with ISIS. ISIS is an extremist Muslim organization. They call themselves the Islamic State. They are declaring that they are uh, reestablishing the Islamic State that used to exist at, up until about the ni- 1910, 1915. And... The Kurdish people don't accept it, even though they're Muslim. And the Kurdish people say, we're Kurds first, we're Muslim second. And we will fight against Muslims if we have to. And The Kurds happen to be pretty favorable towards Israel too. Because Israel happens to, many times, stand against Islam. Because Israel declared independence in the midst of Muslim nations against them. The Kurds have been persecuted by Muslims, they've been killed by Muslims. They're not seen by Muslims as pure, uh, as pure Muslims because they are Kurds, not Arabs. So God's beginning to raise up some houses of prayer in the Kurdish regions. There's believers, there's missionaries that are going out. But more than anything, God's allowing the Muslim people to turn other Muslims against Islam. That's a very interesting dynamic. God's using ISIS to turn other Muslims against Islam. And there's a reason for that. He's beginning to open eyes in that region about the reality, the truth of Islam. More than ever, people there are open to hear about other religions, such as Christianity or Jesus. God's beginning to change the atmosphere in those areas. But there's a very intense, very dark battle taking place in that area in that region in the spirit realm and as believers we need to be praying over that region because there is a very very intense spiritual and physical battle for people's lives one of the words we received that w- was that god was going to allow isis to go too far some of you guys saw that this week with what happened in jordan and, And God's allowing them to go too far. Exactly like Haman, which happened to be around the same region. Haman, in the story of Esther, went too far. He didn't know where to stop. And he ended up causing his own demise. He got himself hanged. And God's building the gallows right now for Haman. God's building the gallows for Islam. He's allowing them to go too far, and he's going to destroy the God of Islam, with their own, own lies. He's using their own lies to do it. He wants to free that region from the lie and the darkness of Islam and death. More than ever, we see this happening. So this is the call of Isaiah 19, a highway that will be filled with worship, incense to our God, changing that region, the atmosphere, spiritually, transforming the Middle East. And people claiming unity, where there is no unity. And people being a blessing, where right now there is no blessing. Where there's only death and war. Now, in the midst of this, we have the conflict between the Palestinians and Jews. This conflict hides itself as an ethnic and political conflict. It is not. This conflict is not political, and it is not ethnic. That's partially true, but very, very partially. Less than 1% true. I'll explain. This conflict hides itself as an ethnic conflict. It tells you that the Jewish people are racist against Palestinians. It tells you also that the Palestinians are all Muslim. They're all terrorists. They all want the Jews to die. They're all hate, they all hate the Jews. But that is only a symptom. That hatred is only a symptom. It hides itself in a political conflict that is about land, about power that's also false. You could solve the the, the problem of land, it would still not solve the conflict. The conflict is ninety nine percent religious, spiritual. The conflict is about one small piece of land that belongs to Him. And that is the Temple Mount. I want to read to you a verse real quick. It's in Ezekiel 43, 7. Interestingly enough, God has called us as a house of prayer in Sukkotlal. We are positioned right in front of the Temple Mount. We actually have our chairs. They're not turned towards the stage. I actually didn't like it too much at first, but now now we can really see the significance for this. The chairs are are not turned towards the stage, they're turned towards the windows that look straight at the Temple Mount. And the reason is that Ezekiel 43, 7 says this, While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the Temple. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. That last word, forever. It is an eternal covenant, That place is the soles of His feet. It is the throne of heaven. One day when Yeshua returns, He is going to sit on a throne right there. And the conflict is about who is going to be worshipped. The enemy is using different people to bring hatred, death, strife, war. But it is mostly, as you can see, about Islam... But more than Islam is about the God of Islam, who is Satan himself. The God of death, who desires worship. He desires to be enthroned. The Muslim religion has indoctrinated its people better than any other religion to worship and pray. Right, Milad? Five times a day? More than any other religion, the Muslims know how to worship and they know how to pray. That's how they're succeeding. They've established their prayer centers all over the earth. We call them mosques. They're actually prayer centers where people gather five times a day in masses to pray and worship their God. And then they blast it on their speakers to the whole city, to the whole community. You can hear it from miles away. They declare their worship over the speakers out in the public, over communities. They know how to change spiritual atmosphere, spiritual warfare. It is said that more Muslims come to the faith every day than Christians. They've indoctrinated their religion succeeds through worship and prayer. God's calling His people into a higher place to overcome that evil spirit, to overcome through worship and through prayer. And that's why we find unity in the house of prayer, in the love conference, and different things that we do between Arabs and Jews, we find unity in the context of worship and prayer, not about talking about the conflict. Let's try to solve this between us. Milad, has that taken us anywhere? No. <laughs> talking about how can we politically solve this conflict, you know, what can we do? It's impossible. I've had to stop reading the news because every time you read the news, you start feeling that hatred inside of you. It starts stirring up, it doesn 't go away in a day. It starts stirring up as you 're reading the news, another terror attack, another thing, another thing, another thing. You read the comments, they 're all full of hatred, 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 hatred. You ha- stop reading. I just had to stop reading. I haven 't read the news almost at all. I can 't read the news, not when it comes to Arabs and Jews, not when it comes to the conflict, because it 's all hateful. And even when it 's not hateful, it 's disillusioned. You can 't solve the conflict politically. You can't solve it ethnically. You can only solve it through Yeshua. You can only solve it in the place of worship and prayer and His presence, in humility and love, in the place where people are willing to wash each other's feet and say they're sorry, to say I forgive you, to say I love you, to build friendship, to build partnership together. This conflict is about a God who's demanding worship and a God who is worthy to receive worship. God wants to bring unity that that little piece of land of Israel and the Palestinian people right there is a key to this whole thing because the highway has to go through there. And when the Palestinians and Jews begin uniting together when they begin to join their hearts in unity, it will release power over the region and a testimony of Christ. The incense of the testimony of Jesus. This is our hearts. A year ago, when I was here in in Dallas, I'm going to shift just a little bit. When I was here in Dallas a year ago, uh, the Lord spoke to me through a dream. I told you just a a little bit ago that when I was uh, about a year ago, if you would have asked me if I would ever travel with an Arab or a Palestinian I, I, no, that's not for me. The leadership in Sukkot Allah asked me, you know, do you have a vision to ever go out uh, with Arabs together as a one human man team? I was like, nope, <laughs> leave that alone. I'm not touching that. That's for other people. You, you can do it if you want. I'm not doing it. You know, I'll, I'll go my way. Well, when I was here last year, I was at Don and Misha's house. And, you know, I had, I had been praying a lot for the Syrian people. And God had put it on my heart for a long time to pray for the Syrian refugees and the conflict there. And I just I would pray continuously over that, over what was happening there. And what the Lord spoke to me about it was that Syria was closed to the gospel. It was almost impossible to take the gospel into Syria. But if the gospel wasn't going to go in, He was going to take them out and expose them to the gospel outside of Syria. And so I began to pray Matthew 9. God, raise up laborers to go to the harvest that is plentiful right now. God, raise up laborers to go into the harvest that is plentiful. God, raise up laborers to go into the harvest. Not many people wanted to go into places of conflict, to the refugee camps. Nobody really also paid attention to what was happening there. Too too many people were stuck on, well, should the U.S. help or not politically? Should they align themselves? Should they send the army? Should they not? But nobody was paying attention to the spiritual significance of what was happening. So I was praying this continuously. One day I had a dream when I was here. And in this dream I was dressed in an army uniform. I was looking for a way to go into Syria and help the Syrian people. And in this dream I found an underground tunnel that went into Syria. And I went across, and I got to the other side. And when I got to the other side, I was captured, and I immediately understood that I was going to get tortured and killed. And, I, you know, in the dream, I'll explain this later, but you don't go into an enemy country dressed in an army uniform. That's not very smart. But when I was captured, they told me, they took me to a prison, they told me, you're going to be tortured, we're going to execute you, but if you want to write some last words, we're going to send them back to Israel. So I began to think about, what am I going to write? What am I going to send back? And I began to feel a lot of anger, a lot of disappointment. I started thinking about how I would never have a family. I started thinking about how I disappointed my wife, about how I would never have the ministry that God had told me and, and called me to. I would never uh, do the things that I had on my heart to do. And started feeling angry about, did I miss the Lord? Did I not hear Him correctly? Was I supposed to go? Was I not? What did I do wrong? And finally, I heard this voice. And he asked me, was it worth it all? Was it worth it all? Is it worth it all? He asked me this several times and then I woke up. And when I woke up, I could feel the presence of God in the room. And I immediately turned around to see if my wife was there because it felt so real. But I felt God's presence in the room. I don't usually remember dreams. And when I remember a dream and I feel like God just spoke to me, I know that it's the Lord. And I prayed about it for a bit and I went back to sleep. And the next day, I woke up and I knew that God had spoken to me. So I called up the leadership, and uh, John Mark and Milad, actually, they were in Israel at the time, they were working on the Next to Love conference, Uh, they had one of their admin meetings. And so I I told them about my dream, and I said, I feel like God's saying that he's going to start sending teams into the Middle East from Israel. And I said, I feel like God's answering my prayer of Matthew 9, and he's sending me. How many of you know that when you pray Matthew 9, it's a dangerous prayer to pray, (laughs) You start praying for God to raise up laborers, you see what happens. (laughs) You wait and see what happens, you see who he sends. (laughs) I dare you to start praying that over someone. (laughs) But I knew that God was answering my prayer. I knew I had prayed Matthew 9 for over two years, and I knew, God, this can't be a coincidence. And in an instant, God put a fire in my heart that I am supposed to go to the refugees. And I, and I felt one more thing that wasn't exactly in the dream, but I knew that this was from the Lord. I said, I said to Milad, I said, Milad, I feel like I'm supposed to go with a Palestinian. I can't go alone. I said, I don't know why, but I know that if I go alone, I will not accomplish the fullness of what God wants to do. And John, Mark, and Milad and the others, were, they were shocked. You know, Milad had a heart to do this for a long time. The other leaders had a heart for this. The only one that didn't was me. And um, God changed my heart in an instant like that. And I knew that I would not accomplish the fullness of what God wanted to do without Milad, without the Palestinians, without the Arab-speaking people. Now, there's some practical applications to that, but there's a spiritual significance to that. Like, We could not accomplish what God wanted to do without the other side. The fullness of what God wanted to do. Now, as I'm sharing these things, I'm not sharing them exactly as prayer points, but I want you to Think about them as prayer points. What does that mean when you're praying for Israel and the Palestinians and for unity, for God to raise up laborers who are Jewish and Arab and God touching the Middle East and changing people's hearts towards one another. Just kind of think about what that testimony says in a larger, not just about me, but in a larger picture of other people as well. But I knew that God wanted to send us together. So we started praying about this. We would have once a week we would get together and do a watch and we would pray together about God sending us and we knew that the only place we could really go is Turkey because of our passports, they're Israeli, we can't go any other passport. And finally when we went to Cyprus and uh, I sent out an update if some of you read about it, I felt like we were supposed to go as a team to Cyprus from Sukkot We raised the funds to do it. Uh, I was able to pay for myself and for my brother to go as well thanks to people who, who really helped us do that. And at this conference, the Lord touched my heart and I remember we were praying together with Milad in one of the worship times, we were in the front praying and this just burden of God came over me and I began to cry out, God, send people across borders. God, we don't want these borders anymore. These borders mean nothing to us. We want to see you break through these political alliances and and wars and, and divides. We want to see the true unity that you have purpose, and I was just praying this out, and I was weeping, and Milad started praying for the humility and the and the unity that God wants to bring in reconciliation and i, I came out of that meeting sensing that God wanted us to go where we weren't supposed to go and yeah um, so we prayed about it, and we heard that there was in the, in that in Cyprus we heard that there was fifty hours of prayer, uh kind of a convocation of 50 hours of prayer that was happening for that region, for Syria, Turkey, and Iraq, for the conflict, and for God's, uh, for God's kingdom to break out in that region. And so we felt that we were supposed to go to represent Israel, that it, the fullness of the Isaiah 19 highway would not be represented if there's not someone from Israel there. The only problem is that we have passports that don't exactly allow us to go there. So we prayed about it, and I told my leader, and I, said, I told Rick, I said, I feel like we're supposed to go. And he said, okay. And so, I'm sorry, I know it's getting a little bit late. Bear with me. I'm going to go through some pictures and share about this trip because it's, it was very, very significant. If you need to leave, feel free to leave. I'm sorry, I'm taking a bit more time. Um, but we started praying, and for about five days before we fly, I meet a pastor. We're praying about finances. We say, God, we need the money. We don't have the money. We don't have the tickets, but we know we're supposed to go. I meet this pastor. He gives me uh, $500, and I, I, I was I I just started crying, and I I sent him an email that that evening, and I I told him exactly what we were going to use the money for and what was on our hearts. He comes back the next day, he hands me another (laughs) $2,000. And he says, I want to invest in this. I want to send you guys. And so two days later, we bought our tickets. We bought, with $2,500, we bought four tickets, and we had enough for two weeks or more than two weeks of food, and we were actually able to also bless other people. We gave away a few hundred dollars to some needy families. And we also took with us over $12,000 in financial aid for humanitarian relief to the churches there. So we go by faith. Let's go to the, uh, let's go to the next slide. Next one. All right, so... We, we had it on our heart to go to Mardin. That's a place that we, were, we, we got connected with through, through an organization. There's a pastor there that works. Uh, his church broke apart because of the secret police in Turkey. but So he's kind of given all of his time now to uh, also evangelism and also to the refugees. There's over 2 million refugees in that area of Turkey right there, South Turkey. And So we went there, but the beginning of our trip was actually to northern Iraq, to Erbil. You can see it right there. In red, circled in red. And we felt that we were supposed to go. I I shared with my congregation actually to pray for us. And um, we shared in Sukkotelel to pray for us. I actually had a leader. What actually started happening is we started getting a lot of people against us. Saying you shouldn't go. This is illegal. You can't go. Uh, It's dangerous. You shouldn't be there. You're not thinking of your family. You're not thinking of your wife. Um, All kinds of stuff. We had a leader that wrote a letter that my pastors should prevent me from going, that this is not okay. And thankfully, my pastors were behind me. Uh, Rick was completely behind us and supported us. But we still needed a miracle to get into northern Iraq, into what's called the Kurdish Autonomous Area. It's, uh, politically, it's under Iraq, but they're seeking independence in that area, the Kurdish people. So they're called the Kurdish Autonomous Area, Iraqi Kurdistan. And so we got to the border the first day we were there. We were waiting at the border in a hotel that morning for an okay from a general that needed to give his approval for us to get special permissions to go in. So we waited, we get a call, and we're, we're heading to the border. And actually, as we're heading to the border, I remember this when we were worshiping. Uh, we, we played the song, You Make Me Brave. We put, we, we, put it, we put it in the car and, and we just played it over and over and we were, we were just like, we were just singing it, shouting it. You make me brave. Like, we were just singing that, you know. Um, so we get to the border. Let's go to the next picture. And the most unbelievable thing happens. Uh, the guy to the right with the cigarette, that guy is the head of security at the border. When we get to the border control, we get into this building that's kind of like a customs, uh, like the airport terminal. And we, he invites us to sit down in chairs and drink tea with him. Now, they drink tea here, over there. They drink tea for everything all day long. And we sit down to drink tea with him. While they take our passports and they're making sure that they're giving us like these special papers. They're not signing our passports. They give us special papers to go through so that there's no record of it either. And he starts telling us that a few generations ago there was Jewish traditions in his family. And that he thinks that there might be Jewish blood. But he's Kurdish. He says, I'm Muslim, but I'm Muslim in my head. I'm not in my heart. I hate everything about Islam. And the Kurdish people don't like Islam. Uh, even when we're Muslim, we're not really Muslim. And he said, if you ever want to come back, here's my number, you call me, I'll let you through, no problem. (laughs) And I mean, we were sitting there absolutely shocked. (laughs) We're we're on the border with Iraq, not believing what we're seeing. But it was such a testimony, that moment I knew God, we're exactly where, where we're supposed to be. That where God had told us to go, where it's impossible to go, he would open the doors. One of the things that he actually, you know, if you remember the dream that he gave me about dying on the Syrian side, when people started telling me that it was dangerous to go, and I also shared this with Milad. I said, Milad, if you want to come, you know, this is what we're signing up for. And my wife was all excited. I was like, yeah, let's go, let's go. Uh, I'm like, are you sure? You know, yeah, yeah, I want to go, I want to go. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, Actually, the day that I first shared my wife this dream and the story, she was like, I was kind of a little bit scared to tell her. I'm kind of a visionary, always thinking of stuff to do. And she's like, I wanted to do that a long time ago. Why didn't you tell me this before? Um, But when people told me that it was dangerous to go, that we shouldn't go, that it it wasn't okay for us and all these things, I said, you know what? The word that God gave me was not a word of revival, of great things, of amazing things that would happen. No, it was a word where you literally had to lay everything down and you knew you were going to a place where it might cost you everything. But I knew that was the word that God had spoken to me. It's worth it all. It's worth it all. It's worth it all. And so we were in northern Iraq for a week. We took part in a uh, in a 50 hours of prayer. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, this is the Muslim Brotherhood Center in Iraq. It, it is the biggest center in, in the Middle East. Uh, we're actually in a church in that picture that's right across that center. And then if you look at the mountains in the back, beyond those mountains are a border between the Kurdish autonomous area, and everything beyond those mountains was ISIS-controlled uh, territories. Let's go to the next picture. Uh, obviously, we didn't tell anybody about where we were. I didn't want my family knowing. We, we couldn't talk also just for security reasons. We didn't talk on the phone or Facebook. It's one of the reasons also I didn't send out a lot of this stuff on my updates. I, I couldn't really send out details like this over the Internet. Uh, here, me and Milad, we were at the 50 hours of prayer. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys know, on the bottom right, there's a guy called Shadi. He's from IHOP. They're in charge of the – he's the director for the Middle East Ministries in IHOP. Uh, we were there together. And we were just praying over the young people. Many of these kids are refugees from Mosul, from Baghdad. Um, Milad, you want to share real quick about your experience with the refugees? In about in a minute or two? Yeah. Minute or two? <laughs>
1: yeah, so three hours. <laughs> yeah, okay, it's just uh, about this uh, thing. We did the altar call uh, for the youth especially, and we said... Uh, every youth would like just to pray for you. And uh, we said, please be sure that God has a calling in your life. You are not here by chance. God is really calling you for something. So we just really uh, we were praying for them. And uh, we were building a relationship with them. Not only just uh, uh, about Jesus, but really we were uh, saying how we love you and how we understand you. And we need to help you. And uh, so it's, it's just a relationship. And in the last day, uh, by the way, we stayed only six days. The general was telling us, you don't have to stay seven days. You, in the six days, you will leave uh, Kurdistan. So we stayed there. In the last day, the one of the families there, they said, we didn't met before like you guys. It's the first time for us to meet like these guys so this is really a witness and uh, thank the lord god is able to uh, change people hearts
0: yeah come on. Amen. Come on. all right we're gonna go through some pictures pretty quickly let's go to the next picture and i'll finish this is in kobani uh, many of you guys heard about kobani and the news we were on the Turkish side of the Syrian border. We were literally just a few hundred meters away from the border. Right when we got there, there was an airstrike over the city. So we were, we were kind of like, we knew what we were where we were going. But then like to see an airstrike right, right when you get there was kind of um, like, wow, we're in the right place. I don't know how to explain it, the sense that we got there. But actually the day before we went, all the roads were shut down because there was some serious fighting in that area. And there's, there were bullets and mortar shells landing on the Turkish side. and But we knew that we wanted to go to pray over that city, that we needed to go to the border and pray over the border and declare God's sovereignty and kingdom over that city. And we prayed about it. We prayed about it. Um, we, we didn't tell anyone that we were going because we knew that no one would want us to go. And so the, the day that we get there, you know, there's like barricades. You get, You get messages on your phone saying, turn around, go back, you know, don't come this way. Um, but we went anyways with this pastor, and um, again, we were putting on the You Make Me Brave song that whole way. <laughs> um, that that was our song for the trip. But uh, we were standing there on the border, and we just started praying over the city. We started declaring God's kingdom over that city, and uh, I found out, there was on the news about a week or two ago, that Kobani was finally liberated from ISIS And they were able to push back ISIS completely from the city. That was another just testimony that God knows what he's doing when he sends you places. And uh, the place that we went to, the city that's right on the border, there's over 50,000 Syrian refugees there. And there's only one believer in that city. We met with him and his family. We encouraged him. Uh, We were able to financially sow into him. But, man, there is such a need for laborers in, in those places right now. And there is such a huge door for the gospel to go into places that the gospel has never been preached. Let's go to the next picture. This is a refugee camp in Turkey also. These are Yazidis. Next picture. These are also refugees. They're living in Iraq, northern Iraq. You know, This is how they live. They don't know when they'll go back home. They're lucky if they get to find a building that they can stay in. Next picture also a tent city of refugees next picture these are refugees in Iraq uh, we got to spend quite a bit of a time with them they, they were in the church that we were staying at uh, there were a lot of kids there there were 35 families that have lost everything in Mosul from Baghdad and Mosul uh, many of them lost family members they were actually woken up you know they were lucky if they were woken up at midnight And they were told by people, get out now. In five hours, ISIS is going to be here. They're on their way. And the people who got out were lucky, and those who stayed weren't so lucky. Next picture. This is the pastor in Turkey that I told you about, and this is the team of us that went. We bought a lot of uh, stuff for the children. We bought a lot of just food, snacks, juices. Uh, We were able to play a lot with the kids and just bless them. They're sitting around doing nothing most of the day for a long time. Next picture. Uh, And that really opened up the door for us to also share with a lot of families about Christ. Uh, As we just, they saw that we were coming to minister to the kids and just play with them and have fun. We were doing all kinds of activities and games. And then we would also bring stuff for the adults. We brought over 500 pairs of shoes uh, that were given there. And with that guy that you see in the middle, he lost 15 members of his family. He shared his testimony and a, another young lady that's not in this picture, she was in that, she was in that room. Um, she shared about how her children were kidnapped and her parents were taken as well. Um, and she, only her and her husband are left. But, you know, they're living in these little cubicles, and their are families of seven eight living in a small cubicle. You can see they have everything packed up in there. They take, they take out the mattresses at night, and then they put it all back up in a stack at, at, in the morning. Next picture they would all gather around us. We would just tell them our story. We started telling them about how much we love them, about Yeshua and how much he loved them and how much, uh, you know, they have hope only through Yeshua, only through Jesus. Next picture. Uh, These are also Yazidis that were refugees in uh, northern Iraq. Uh, The leaders were telling us how most of the women from their tribe were kidnapped by ISIS. Most of their women were gone. Um... At this meeting, the Lord put it really heavily on my heart. Uh, and also for the next week, we got to see a lot of Yazidi refugees. How many know, you know who the Yazidi are? I didn't know who they were until I got there. They're a group of about one million people. They're an unreached people group. They live on a mountain called Mount Sinjar in northern Iraq, really close to Mosul. And when ISIS came, they started being slaughtered and they had to flee. Now, The Yazidi people are not Muslim. They have a weird religion that nobody really knows what they believe in, but they believe in a black book, and they believe in a devil, and in some sort of angel, and that's all they... (laughs) Most of them don't even know what it is. And they say, well, we have some kind of black book, that it's a holy book, but nobody's really read it. Only a few holy people, and there's only three of them. (laughs) Um... So it's, it's a very, nobody really knows. For, and for that reason, they've been persecuted and killed by Muslims for hundreds of years. They've experienced 70 genocides or 71 genocides. And so this has caused them to be an extremely closed community. And anyone who converts to another faith from their community is killed if they don't escape. For this reason, there's probably only a handful of believers who are Yazidi. And there's a million of them. They are an unreached people group that for the first time are outside of their natural habitat and they're getting exposed to the gospel. We got to share with a lot. We got to share with a few hundred about Yeshua, about God's love. These people feel rejected. They feel hated. They feel like they have no hope. Like nobody cares about them. Nobody, nobody cares about who they are. About their lives. And we just got to listen to their stories. we got to pray for them, we got to share with them and it's the first time that they've experienced anything like that. Next picture this is my wife. This is some of the things we did face painting they would they were crazy when we would do this. Next picture. also we're just buying stuff for the kids. next picture. I think they uh I, I, we have so many more i wish i could show them all to you it would be hours but um this is really significant what god's doing right now in the middle east we know we hear a lot of bad stuff a lot of the wars and i want to encourage you you know it's so easy to get mixed up in all the political you know should we be involved should we not be involved should the u.s go in should they not go in should they send weapons should they not send weapons should the military go or not go and what are the news saying and what are the people doing and It is overbearing, and you lose sight of what God is doing. When you get too caught up in the political aspects of what's happening, you lose sight of what God is doing, and you forget to pray for what really matters. What God is doing there is really significant. He is rearranging and changing the region and preparing it for an outpouring. He is changing hearts. He is opening hearts. More Muslims than ever before are open to the gospel because they're seeing the true face of it. We met quite a few pastors. Uh, The pastor we stayed with, Pastor Majid, and also a pastor called Ahmed, and a few others, you know, former Muslims, extreme Muslims, who came to the Lord. And God's just changing hearts. But more than anything, we're praying that God will continue to raise up worship and prayer across the Middle East, because this is what will change and transform the region and prepare it for God's final outpouring over that region. If you want to have some more prayer points, I encourage you to go to the Sukkot Hillel website. We have uh, some of the visions that Rick has had over the past few months uh, with some very clear prayer points for Israel, for the Palestinian people, uh, for uh, Europe and what's happening there right now and also for the Middle East. SukkotHalal.com It's S-U-C-C-A-T-H-A-L-L-E-L.com <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> can we get it up on the screens maybe it, um, yeah I just want to encourage you be aware of what's happening be praying for what's happening and we want to pray Matthew 9 we want to continue praying Matthew 9 God raise up laborers for this region there is such a need for laborers in that region everyone else is, is running away most of the missionaries have left but there is more than 11 or 12 million refugees that need to hear the gospel and can for the first time. In Jordan, more than a thousand refugees, Muslims, have come to the faith in the refugee camps. In Turkey as well, Syrian refugees that are accepting the, the faith. And so th- this is a very significant hour to be praying. And in spite of all the conflicts and death, you know, look at that and see what God is doing. And I want to give one last prayer point. Um, one of the things that we received in Sukkot was to pray for the children and youth of this region. The children and youth of this region are growing growing up traumatized. Many of them have experienced extreme loss. Their families are gone. Their parents are gone. They've lost brothers or sisters, friends. Uh, Also in Gaza or in Israel, you know, people that grow up traumatized from war with hatred in their hearts. And all they know is conflict. All they know is hopelessness. And we want to pray that from the ashes of war, from the ashes of death, God is going to raise up trees of righteousness. That God is going to raise up trees with the seeds that are under the ashes are going to grow up into new trees that are going to give hope, that are going to give life into the Middle East. I'm sure Milad can tell you, if you want to ask him, you know, what is it like to grow up in Gaza in the midst of a conflict? And, and you know, he was, yeah, go ahead thank
1: you okay just i want to say really something about growing up in gaza when i was a child in gaza uh it's nice to hear the both sides by the way um i was seeing cries of people crowds of people are carrying death bodies and i was a child and i was 13 years old so this is very hard as a kid as a child um I'm not participating in any political movement by the way. I'm really participating in Jesus Christ movement. <laughs> in Marines for Christ movement. <laughs> I believe it's really movement and God wanna raise laborers. Yeah. This is what I wanna share. Yeah.
0: So that's that's really a major prayer point because you have a generation that's growing up scarred and filled with hatred. Even believers, believers sometimes just like anybody else, um, there's so much political alliances in the churches. But um, what God does with this next generation will be very significant. And God needs to raise up a generation among these children that have grown up in the midst of conflict, conflict, conflict. God will raise up children that love the Lord, that know His love, His compassion, His forgiveness, His grace. Uh, We met two young girls in Iraq that their father tried to kill them twice. And when we got there, the mom had just ran away from the house. And she she got to that. She was staying in the house of the pastor where we were at. And these girls were traumatized. They were four or five years old. And uh, when you would, me and my wife, you know, we love children. But when we would come near to play with them, uh, if it was me or Milad or any guy that came to the house, they would start screaming they were so afraid of men. And so we would, we slowly tried to just, you know, play with them, get to know them a bit, be nice to them. <laughs> we actually prayed a few times. But we slowly started seeing a change in these girls. And they started opening up. And all of a sudden, they were super attached. They would not let go. I would carry them with me everywhere. And they would not let go. They were like, they, they, would, they would climb on me and get on my back and also Milad, like they would not let you go. They were so, they were crying out for, for affection, you know. They were so traumatized by a man. And all of a sudden when they, they it, for at first they were completely traumatized and scared of you. And then the moment that they trusted you, was like they were just attached to you. They needed you. And we prayed for them at the very end. We prayed for the mom and the two children. We all laid hands on them. And the mom was just weeping, and she was saying, I don't know what you guys did to my girls, you know, I don't know why she liked you, why they even attached to you, why they even opened up to you, they don't do that. And uh, she said, they don't speak a word, that, they don't know a word of what you speak, you don't speak a word of what they speak, and yet somehow they fell in love with you. And so I, I was carrying that that vision in my mind of the the children rising up from the ashes, and that, that story, that what we saw happen there, was really a picture of what God wants to do in transforming the hearts of children that have grown up traumatized, that all they know is loss and death and trauma and PTSO, or PTSD, actually, sorry. Yeah. Anyways, let's stand up and pray. Are we going to do a Q&A time if you want in the end, or is it a little uh, bit late? Let's stand up and pray, but also... Um...
2: Let's do this. Uh, you have cards on the back of your um, chairs. And, and I would really like to give you guys an opportunity to sew into Joel's ministry. Um, even though the card's... That you have there our uh, storehouse cards. If you are interested in um, giving to his ministry, it could be $10 a month. It could be whatever it is that you can do on a regular basis. Um, we support Joel Storehouse as he is one of our top missionaries that we support. But really, if you can't go there, and I would love to go there, wouldn't you? I would love to go there. I'm like, I want to play that song, Brave. I want to go across the border. I want to live that life of miracles. But this, but right now, this is the assignment that God has me on, you know, right here in Dallas. But I want to go with him. So I go with my money and I go with my prayers. And so I really want to give you an opportunity to do that, to go with him by sowing into him. And as we sow into him, he sows into them and so it's just it's just the stream of of love it's the stream of prayers it's the stream of provision so um so let's do that go ahead and fill out the cards on the back of the chairs with your credit card right on there to joel Jelski and i'm going to give the those to him and we're going to make sure that he gets it also if you just want to make a one-time donation as well you can do that too um how does that sound good all right um uh, all right, let's pray. Um, Joel, why don't you lead us in
0: prayer, and, um, and then we'll agree with you, okay? Father, I thank you for uh, just what you're doing across the nations. and God, as you're preparing the nations for your return, God, we want to, we want to be faithful servants, stewards of what you're doing. God, we want to have our lamps filled with oil. And with fire, God, so we are ready and aware for the coming of the bridegroom. I ask that you would put a burning spirit in this house. God, I thank you that you've already put that fire in this house as they pray and sow into Israel. God, and I ask that you would put a fire and a burning in their heart to continue praying for the Middle East and for uh, what you are doing there for your kingdom to break out. God, I ask that you would put, put a burden on their hearts, God, to cry out for laborers. God, as you're raising up a cry across the nations for laborers to go into the harvest fields. God, and I know that you will take people, even from this own house, from this city, into the harvest fields. You will send them out as laborers. God, I ask that you would put a vision in their hearts. God, take them into a deeper understanding and revelation of your Isaiah 19 highway. God, as we prepare for your return to the Middle East, for the great outpouring over all flesh, Abba. God, we thank you for what you're doing in spite of wars and conflict, God. In spite of what the media will tell us and the news show us, God, I thank you that what you're doing is greater and beyond our understanding. And it's greater than any any demon, any enemy in the world, God. Any spirit that would try to bring death, that would try to bring uh, lies and condemnation, over people, God, that your grace, your spirit, your power is greater than all those things, Abba. And the incense will arise, God, your incense will arise across the nations, God. What we declared earlier, that every tongue, every knee will bow, every tongue will declare that you are king, God. Every person in the Middle East, every Muslim, God, will know that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, God. And your name will be known across the nations, God, incense will arise to you from across the nations, and your glory will cover the earth, Abba. It will cover the Middle East. Hallelujah. Father, we we, we pray that you will raise up worshipers and intercessors in Israel, in Egypt, in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Turkey, in Iraq, in Iran. We're seeing it happen before our eyes as you're raising up a prayer movement that will cry out day and night, that will unite their hearts in worship and prayer, that they will unite their hearts in covenant and relationship across borders, across nations. God, I thank you that you are doing what no political alliance can do, that you do the things that no human being can can do, Abba. Father, and we pray that you will continue to raise up people with a heart to go where no other will go, with a heart to go where they are told that they cannot go. God, that you will raise up teams, especially from Israel, God, one-human teams of Jewish and Arab and Gentile together who will go into the nations and labor together for your glory. God, I thank you that this is through your grace and through your spirit. God, and that alone we cannot accomplish this. And you're joining in people from across the nations to partner together with one heart, with one vision, Yeshua's name.